This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome back to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Cheryl Coleman. And we are here with you every Thursday morning from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern. We're replayed throughout the week, and you can find us on demand on the SiriusXM app. And so again, for those of you just joining us for the first time on SiriusXM Channel 132, Welcome to Dollars and Change, and welcome to Business Radio. Uh, We are excited to have you, and we've had a great lineup of guests so far. We've talked about sort of intrapreneurship, surprisingly. That wasn't what we necessarily intended to turn out Right, right, exactly. Um, But we had um, an incumbent in the sort of textbook publishing. A hundred-year-old incumbent. Exactly. Talking about how they're innovating and disrupting the market themselves. Uh, We just talked with Pam Rothenberg, who is at a law firm, talking about how they're innovating within the firm to create new products and lines of business to serve the impact economy. And now we're turning to Janice Bowdler, who's the president at J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation. And we've had a colleague of hers on the show, but I'm excited to think more broadly around uh, what the foundation is doing across all of their activities. So welcome to the show, Janice. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are delighted to have you. And so, Janice, what is your background? When I was reading your bio, it seemed quite interesting and diverse. Sure. So I grew up in Northeast Ohio and uh, very early on got uh, interested in housing policy, which I think is not the usual thing for young students to get interested in. But for me, the geography of opportunity was was quite fascinating. I did my urban policy work at Cleveland State and worked in the Cleveland community development field uh, for a couple of years before I ultimately made my way to Washington, D.C., where I really wanted to work on the policy scene. And uh, at the time, I landed my dream job, really working with National Council of La Raza, now called Unidos U.S., which is the nation's largest Hispanic civil rights organization. And I spent a decade there working to shore up the finances and uh, of Latino families and really try to work on policies that would close the racial wealth divide. And uh, after 10 years there, um, quite unexpectedly, I think by me and <laughs> probably my colleagues and maybe even the firm, I found myself at, at J.P. Morgan Chase at a time where the bank was completely rethinking their philanthropic strategy. And, and I had an opportunity to come here and build out a series of, of high-impact programs. And it, it's been it's been great. And then just uh, a couple months ago, I was named president of the foundation. Well, that's that's a great background and really helpful. And I have to say that uh, our team is kind of really big fans of J.P. Morgan Chase and have, have watched what they've been doing um, since 2013. Can you give people who are listening a little bit of context with this? What was that change in the philanthropic giving and, and what's so exciting about it now? Sure. So, you know, it, maybe like a lot of corporate foundations, a lot of other banks, I mean, the the strategy, there, there were a number of really good programs, lots of good work happening, but we were spread very thin. Uh, we didn't have a cohesive story in which we could really uh, tell the world what we were doing with our dollars and our employee time and talent. Um, so in 2012, uh, so before I got here, I can't take credit for this, but... Uh, under the leadership of Jamie Dimon and Peter Scher, uh, the firm started to undergo a review and look at how could we be more strategic, how could we have more impact 
document that impact and really align our giving with the intellectual capacity of the firm so that we were bringing more than just dollars. So we took a page from more traditional philanthropy where we tried to go to um, bigger, fewer checks with a long-term view so we could really focus on moving the needle and having outcomes. But then different from private foundations, we have this depth as a firm where we've got technology and data and highly talented, highly skilled employees and we can put those resources against the social challenges that we're trying to address. And and that combination, I think, is our superpower. We've been quite effective when we've been able to bring all of those resources to places like Detroit. And Janice, part of the strategy, too, that I was quite struck by, I believe, you know, in 2017, giving was around $250 million, mm-hmm. But there's a commitment to, to grow that amount over the next five years to $1.75 billion. So that's quite an increase. I think it's around 40%. Can you tell us about that strategy, too? Sure. So we, um, I'll give you a bit of, of a teaser. Uh, we're actually prepping to make a big announcement about how we're going to um, program and put that extra 40% oh, to work. Oh, you can tell us here. <laughs> Just amongst well, friends. <laughs> well, let me give you a couple of things that I, I will give you a window into how we're thinking about this. Okay. So we've we've been doing two things over the last um, last uh, five years, and I'll, I'll try to be succinct, but I know that your listeners appreciate a, l- a little bit of depth on this. So we have four program areas. We focus on jobs and skills, community development, financial health, and small business. And within each one of those, we call them our pillars, within each one of those pillars or those focus areas, we've been focused on really pushing pushing the field and pushing for innovation and looking at systems change. Really, how are we changing the way um, cities and states and public sector and nonprofit sector think about these systems that really ladder up to economic opportunity for low-income individuals and really are the systems that can help us tackle the racial wealth divide. And that work has been going really well. At the same time, we've, we've brought that systems view to places like Detroit. And as I said, in Detroit, we brought a great programming, but we also, we brought highly talented individuals who are coming to work for nonprofits at three weeks at a time to tackle really strategic projects. We brought new data insights from the J.P. Morgan Chase Institute. We realized that when we really put our shoulder to the wheel and we weaved all of these things together, we could we could have an outsized impact. Um, what uh, so as we look ahead, what are we going to do with this increased spend? One is this model for impact that we've had in Detroit and we've taken to um, D.C. and to Chicago. We want to look at places where we might be able to replicate that kind of effort. So that's um, that's waiting in the wings, and I'll say more about that in a second. Um, but we also think that there's this um, this middle ground. If you think of the base of the pyramid as really how we've been effectively programming within our focus areas, these systems of opportunity, in order to really make change, they need to align. The power is in the intersection. So. Just to give you an example, uh, in Chicago, we are seeing a very collaborative table come together to look to address issues of extreme violence. Now, there are a number of funders around the table that are, are attacking this all from their different core competencies. But for us, when we heard that 
lack of economic opportunity and lack of jobs and skill training is part of the problem, well, that's right in our sweet spot. So we can bring that jobs and skills focus to now intersect with the mental health system and the criminal justice system to address a really big um, problem and issue for the community. And the Ready Initiative is the name of that work led by the Heartland Alliance in Chicago. And it's it's phenomenal. It's early days, but it has um, it has great indicators of success. And so Janice, maybe, it's really interesting yeah. to hear that last piece around Chicago because you know, whether I think about, sorry to bring this to the personal side again, like my husband's work with, um, he actually runs a, a child welfare organization that focuses mostly on adolescent girls that have experienced trauma. And then they also have a really place-based uh, area where they do a broader suite of mental health services in Southwest Philadelphia. And really, as he now assumes this new CEO position, he's thinking like economic development definitely intersects with our work. But how do we do that? And so I, I wonder if he should be if he's listening. Hopefully you're listening there, Michael, uh, <laughs> that you're able to that he's maybe he looks at Chicago as a model. I just know that this these systemic issues are so interrelated and it's really interesting. I mean, I know traditional foundations have sort of or the big names that they've maybe they, that. they've thought about it. They've been moving in this. But I don't think corporate foundations necessarily have. Right. And no, I think, and I, yeah, I was, go ahead, because I, I was going to say one of the things that I think corporate foundations do is they bring can bring in more capacity. What a lot of the, the foundations have done is they try to do this, you know, collective impact approach by putting money in there. But those, I think, were often not as successful because they didn't have all those additional pieces that a corporation can bring. And I, I think when you, um, just to go to the earlier point, when you look at this really from a human perspective, you realize that people's lives don't exist in our funding silos. Yes. So they're messy and complicated. And city systems, if you if you come up to the macro level, um, you know, housing policy is health policy, workforce policy is criminal justice policy. I mean, you see that these things intertwine. Now, I, I would say you have to, and we have to continue to maintain a disciplined focus so that we can measure our outcomes but we're recognizing more and more that the the power for transformative change is where these things come together. And the big, for us, a big precondition, I mean, what we saw in Detroit, what we're seeing in Chicago, is you have a great collective table. You need local leadership uh, to say, here's, here's the problem, here are the gaps. These are these are the solutions we want to test. You you we need that in order to be a major investor. I think it's not um, it's not our role to kind of come into communities. Even though we you know in Detroit we're the biggest bank, but we we had a mantra when we were going in there: no New York solutions to Detroit problems. Right? Mm-hmm. You have to start with what is the local leadership saying? How are they diagnosing this problem? And is there a, a civic infrastructure that's willing to work together to tackle those big problems. Is that a criteria as you've worked in Detroit, Chicago, and DC mm-hmm. that you're really looking at? Yeah, that's that's huge. You need to you need to see that kind of collaboration from the leadership, that kind of will from the the public sector, from the business uh, sector as well. I mean, we that's certainly the position that we're coming from and. Uh, as much as we're moving in this space, we're looking at how can we be a leader and produce a playbook for other corporates because you know, I think we can see it's it's long past time. We can't, as corporations, just stay focused on narrow parochial interests. These things that are happening, whether we're talking about 
uh, gun violence in um, in Chicago, um, a blight and uh, concerns around distressed neighborhoods in in Detroit. These are problems that are bad for business too. So our our choices are really quite simple. We can we can pretend we don't see them, and and in in doing so, be part of the problem, or we can roll up our sleeves and be part of the solution. Well, you know, and on that note, you know, it, these have business implications. Whether it's J.P. Morgan Chase or it's you know any corporation in their environment, you know, if there aren't people to use your products and services, then you know what you're not right. going to have a business. But the other thing I wanted to underscore here. Um, I think from the corporate foundation angle is, I'm going to say this flippantly, and sorry that it's a gross overgeneralization, but in the past, you may have heard of you know corporate philanthropy, and especially the people at the top of corporate philanthropy, historically, it was almost like getting put out to pasture. Yeah. Like it, you were senior in your career and like, yeah, you get to now go, you know, run the foundation or whatever. And what I'm really seeing, at least in this particular example, and I think we're seeing it at other corporate foundations, is a real professionalization, a strategic mission around it. Um, and, and I'm integration so, into the business. In yeah. And so I'm just really struck by this. Way, yeah. Well, I, uh, I turned 40 in September, so I hope I'm not being put out to pasture yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, so I, it, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's if you were to crack open the the organization over here, the the team that we've recruited and who's come on board over the last five years, filled with um, policy wonks, folks like myself from the nonprofit sector, people who have served in government, people who've been really close to these challenges, and they bring that perspective. And then, of course, we bring our lived experience to the table in how we're we're thinking about these things. And really, again, being very outcome-driven in, in how we think about this. And I think once that idea took hold here, it's it's almost like I have to worry about it, it getting away from me, right? Like this is a place that reports earnings quarterly. So I have to also remind folks, actually, social change takes a while. <laughs> um, but it's but it's important for us. We, we can show we can how many entrepreneurs are getting capital through our, our programs. Now we have four funds of uh, the Entrepreneur of Color funds in Chicago, uh, Detroit, our flagship, South Bronx, and San Francisco. And we're looking not just, so the near-term outcomes that we would track are how many are getting capital that weren't otherwise bankable, but then we're also looking at how is their revenue changed? Are, there hire, are they hiring? Are they still in business a year from now, two years from now? That's how that like longitudinal looking at this stuff over a period of years is how we're going to know if we're really having impact. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Nick Ashburn with Cheryl Kuhlman, and we are talking to uh, Janice Bowdler from uh, J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation. If you have a question, give us a ring at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So let's th- talk a little bit about that, that uh, Entrepreneurs of Color Fund and Investing. I think it is important and interesting to sort of see not just who you bring in and who you give money to, but what happens to them. And you had alluded to that. Do you provide any technical assistance, support? Are your employees on on the boards of some of these companies? How, how do you stay in touch with these entrepreneurs to help help, help guide their success? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's it's multifaceted. So the um, we are we're looking at how we support nonprofits in a variety of ways. So one is just their own organizational development. So looking at their leadership, their bench building. This is one of the hardest things for nonprofits to do is 
succession planning and have enough depth in their org chart that they're grooming the next set of leaders, whether it's their program directors or their executive director. Um, so actually just uh, last month, we, we actually opened the doors on our own leadership training, Leadership Edge, in Chicago and had uh, nonprofit um, CEOs come in and take that training, same training that we give our leadership mm-hmm. internally. So that's one um, that's one way that we can support them. We also, um, I mentioned, I referenced Service Corps earlier. So this is a more intensive service, um, and we've been doing it about twice a year in Chicago, for the, or I'm sorry, in Detroit for the last couple of years, where we take a, a team of 16 uh, into the city. They divide up into three or four nonprofits, uh, and these are folks that are sitting in our revenue generating seats as the as the show hosted by the business school you can appreciate right Absolutely. like these are folks who have real day jobs they're top talent it's actually highly competitive now to get one of these slots uh, and they go and they tackle very specific projects everything from market and feasibility analyses to building out back-end software for um, for the Detroit land bank there's a really fascinating project and that both allows us to strengthen those nonprofits, but it also gives us a window in to their capacity. And one thing that I we have to think about as funders, any kind of funder, is we, you know, especially for us, we're pushing the envelope in terms of innovation, but we can't so burden the nonprofit infrastructure that it can't take on the next level of work. So it's mission critical that we're both thinking about how we rise to the challenge in our communities with big and bold solutions, and we're supporting the nonprofit sector who's going to be the likely actors that are going to execute a plan and be the stewards in that community over the next generation, right? Like these need to be lasting institutions. Janice, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just boast. (laughs) <laughs> so as you've been at the foundation, as well as as you've recently assumed the position of president at J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation, what story do you love to tell, you know, about success and like what really gets you excited? Oh, geez, it's so it's so hard to pick one. I, I think the thing that I am most excited about and most proud is not necessarily any one particular program, but I'm. I'm excited and proud of the way that our work is now as internal facing as it is external facing. And what I mean by that is um, seeing the firm really adopt the kinds of ideas that we're talking about uh, out in communities and walking the walk internally. So working hand in hand with our business banking team to look at how we support uh, entrepreneurs of color and and, entrepreneurs. entrepreneurs who haven't gotten a traditional bank loan, thinking about the financial wellness of our own employees, thinking about the career pathways for our own employees, all this innovation that we're seeing and we're seeding, you know, out in our markets with our nonprofit partners, our business is turning to us and saying, yeah, we want more of that internally. Mm. And we're now internal partners with our business, with our HR systems to see how we can incorporate a lot of this innovation in-house. And that's really exciting to me because when you when you look at scale, you know, a firm that has over 5,000 branches in the U.S. and working in 40 companies globally, that's scale and the potential is uh, is off the charts. So what you're, if I'm interpreting what you're saying is some of the lessons you're learning by your grant making and sort of engaging in the communities and markets where you're working, 
that feedback is entering into the core business and it's informing um, and maybe even influencing some of the actual decision makings that feed the bottom line. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really fascinating because, I, again, I think that you're, when we're thinking about how to build wealth and how to you know, avoid the wealth gap and how to get people to understand about how to make financially um, strong choices – we often think about the the nonprofits doing work. There's a great organization here in Philadelphia called Clarify that does that, for instance. Mm-hmm. But when you think about your your employees, you know, young hires, people who are just tellers or you know, uh, at the lower levels, they could benefit from that kind of training and information as well. So you could have a real opportunity to make sure you're educating and and uh, impacting the lives of lots of people. That's right. And they have families and they have kids going to college. So we, I think, uh, you know, as we go further along in this work, realizing our, um, our reach and what our platform allows us to do is, is again, uh, you know, it's, it's the communities where we work, but it's also the people that we, that we employ and the people that we bank. And Janice, you you mentioned a little while ago about some metrics that you are thinking about with certain programs. Um, when you look at I, – I want to go take this from two angles. So one, when you are approaching grant making, maybe you are sort of conducting due diligence on you know before you do a grant or you have an RFP process. How do you balance innovation and evidence, You know, an evidence-based mm-hmm. practice? Um, and then also how are you or how are you thinking about once the grant's made and you're tracking things over time, what are your processes for that? Sure. So, starting with the first question, uh, so it's a great it's a great question because you can have a chicken and egg when a grantee comes to you and says we want to try this big bold new idea and it hasn't been done before and therefore has no track record. Um, I like to use a strategy that we call um, data informed or evidence informed. Um, so, if evidence based is scaling, what we know works. Um, data informed or evidence informed is, you know, we're, we're going through a process where we're using resident input, human centered design, or just community centered design. Like we're using that kind of thinking, um, certainly in our financial health work, uh, uh, using behavioral insights as well, so that we really, you know, we're, we're coming together with the leaders in the field to say, we think this is a good place to, um, to test. But that said, I think we need to be really honest that these things don't always work. And I think uh, corporate foundations in particular maybe have not been the best around how to fail fast and iterate, right? Like that's just not how I think a lot of corporate foundations have thought about our work. And so I, I see us as trying ideas but constantly iterating, constantly working to to grow and figure out. And this is where then the time and talent of our employees can be really helpful. Um, and then you have you have to be honest as well about when it's just not working or maybe when a strategy sunsets and it's time to it's time to move on. I mean, we if I think about our work in Detroit um, at the beginning, a lot of that. First of all, it was just about stabilizing the city and making sure that the institutions there um, could really rise to the challenge. I think of the Detroit Land Bank having to take on as many as 100,000 vacant and abandoned parcels. That is outpaces the next land bank by a factor of at least four or five. Wow. Um, right? Like they just, you needed to do some institution building. Now, Detroit's downtown is doing great. I mean, you can barely get an apartment in Midtown. 
um, but the neighborhoods are not making a comeback the way they the way they need to in order to make sure that it's a really inclusive recovery. So we've shifted. We've said, okay, like that work is in good shape. Traditional market markets are now functioning. Capital is flowing there. Philanthropy needs to move, and now we're we're very focused on uh, on the neighborhoods and making sure it's an inclusive recovery. So all of those things come together in terms of of how we do this. And you know, I think we bring as much data and leadership to this as we as we can. But of course, it's it's both art and science. Um, and then uh, just quickly, it begs then the follow up question, which is tracking our impact, and and we do it in two ways. One is that we collect data directly from our grantees to see how they're doing against their goals and benchmarks, which we're setting together. I mean, they're they're telling us, I mean, especially when you're experimenting, it might be about getting program design right and not having, you know, huge numbers. Um, but we're tracking those numbers. And then we use a number of third-party evaluators. Um, Harvard uh, Joint Center for Housing Studies is one of our um, uh, evaluators for community development work, the initiative for a competitive inner city on small business, and so on. So we we then that gives us a more longitudinal view, and captures a lot of the qualitative inputs that maybe just hard numbers don't give you. Got it. That's that's very interesting, and I mean I really love the point because I think Cheryl, this is sort of how we view opportunities for philanthropy as well as you know seeding innovation, playing whether you want to say first loss or, you know, just sort of the catalytic capital. If you take the Detroit example, you know, getting institutions mm-hmm. up and then saying the market's working. That's great. Let's move on. Yep. Um, and I I would love hypothetically that, you know, more philanthropic dollars think that way. Well, and, and I think sometimes finding those those opportunities where there's a potential for a market playing a role later mm-hmm. are often hard because we know that a lot of what goes on in philanthropy are are situations where there's probably not a market solution in the future, right? Right, and And that's okay. Figuring that out. And that's okay that, you know, but it's maximizing the efficiency of those dollars versus, you know, just thinking we need, this needs to be a long-term solution forever. Right, right. So Janice, um, I guess in the next couple of minutes as we think about wrapping this up, um, we coming back to the strategy and the goals that you guys have set out for yourselves, you know, what are some of the initial steps and what are you most excited about? Uh, I'm sorry, initial steps on... On, uh, on executing on of, your new strategy. Yeah, so uh, most of our initiatives now are hitting their um, their five-year point. So we're, um, we're all thinking about what we're fondly calling our 2.0s, right? Um, so it is thinking about scaling the best of what works, how we take this, 360 view and full resources of the firm to more places, but also realizing, as we discussed earlier, that that in order to take that kind of investment requires a certain amount of capacity and civic infrastructure. So for those cities that are not yet ready or places, how are we supporting them um, through planning or maybe um, a sort of a middle uh, a middle step grant? And then I'd say finally, it's it's really we're thinking about the systems alignment, that each city has a set of opportunity systems that come together to create inclusive growth opportunities. And the power, the transformative power, is when they're coming into alignment. And that will be a bit of new territory for us, but I really think that that's where we need to be in order to make the kind of impact that we want to see. 
And my last question, I think, is how are you sharing your learnings? So if you think about, you know, you're applying the, some of the criteria you learned seem to work in Detroit to Chicago and D.C. And as you think about expanding, are, are you able to share that with other funders, other investors and in how to think about this? Yeah, absolutely. So, a, you know, traditional route is an, any number of our evaluators are constantly putting out research based on what they're seeing from the programs that we're supporting. But more and more, we're also leveraging uh, Jamie Dimon's role as chairman of the Business Roundtable as a way to connect with other corporates and share both our model and also our programs and trying to bring them along. Because, look, I mean, we I'm as excited as I am about the work that we're doing, there's no way we can do this alone, and we wouldn't want to. So bringing more partners to the table is also a big part of where I think we need to be in the in the next few years. Yeah, I think that'd be hugely important to get more corporate foundations thinking the way you are and and following your your path. And Jen, as I I, I lied, I had one more question. <laughs> so you're you're recently in 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 the position of president of of the J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation. What do you think is your biggest challenge um, or or opportunity, whichever way you want to take it, in your new role? Um, well, I I think I, I I might have alluded to it earlier. You know, we this place moves fast, and I, I think it's actually why a lot of the the team that's been hired on in the last five years is here because um, maybe that's another way that we can distinguish ourselves from traditional philanthropy. I mean, we move quick and we can be responsive. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes there's an appetite to see results just as quickly when we know that social change takes a while, um, to put it mildly, right? Yeah. So we are we are growing. Uh, we're thinking about how we, we position ourselves to be as effective as possible for that growth, both from a staffing and a programmatic standpoint. We're, um, we're doing a five-year look and evaluation of our programs and thinking about where we want to be for the next five years while still trying to produce the results that we've been producing and so just thinking about this in, you know, for for a lot of your B-School students who are probably on the line, like that's a lot going on organizationally at one time. Uh, and yet that's where we are. And that's the, that's the mission that we'll accomplish over the next six months is essentially grow, launch our new initiatives and um, continue uh, the amazing grant making work that we've we've been doing. Well, and Cheryl, I, I love that personally because um... – I think that's what I'm most excited about, bringing the tools of business uh, to this area of social social change, social impact, because there's this creative tension, yes. right? It takes a while to enact and, and experience change, yet these are pressing issues that you know we don't necessarily want them to take a long time to change. And business also is demanding quicker results, or at least, you know, hey, tell me, tell me what you're doing quickly. And and so I think this creative tension is really good for the the field and for making change actually happen. But it is a double edged sword. So um, yep. I will pause there. But thank you so much, Janice, for joining us. Thank uh, you for having me. Thank we've you. been speaking with Janice Bowdler, the president at the J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.